Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Awesome. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for great days like today. We thank you, Lord, because no matter what's happening out there, you are here with us. Your presence is around about us, no matter where we are around the world. There are people a part of this service right now at all the corners of the globe. But God, you're there. And so because you're there, something great always happens where God is. Father, we pray today that you'll open up our hearts. Let all worry and concern, let all fear be gone. Lord, let all distractions be taken away so that we can hear something from you that'll lead us just that next step further towards what you have for every one of our lives. We thank you for it. We give you alone all the praise and all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that every God-given vision is bigger than you. I've always believed that. I always believe that there's something about this church that's larger than any one individual in it. It's not about our skills alone or about our capacities or our experience or our intellect or our wisdom or our knowledge or anything else. There is something that when God calls you is bigger than you. It's larger than who you are. And yet God-given vision really is not an option. If, if you can leave it alone and walk away from it, then I question whether it ever became God-given vision to you. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 19, when the Apostle Paul is trying to explain the shift in his life from a persecuting Pharisee, taking Christians off to jail, towards becoming a great uh, preacher of the gospel, the good news of Christ. When he's trying to explain that to King Agrippa, he says this, Therefore, O King, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, this was not something that came to me as an option or an elective, something I could choose to accept or to put away but it was something that I felt a compelling to obey. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to what God called me to. Now, the question is not whether you and I will have doubts or fears. Even the Apostle Paul said that at one point, he said, we despaired of life. He said there were fightings within and fears without. So I know that to be a follower of Christ does not somehow rather take away my humanity. So perhaps we will from time to time have doubts and fears and there will be shortcomings and there will be flaws in our life. The question is not, will those things come? The question is, will I be willing, despite those things, to keep following? It's not a matter of the only people that follow are the perfect ones. This is not some kind of competition to find out who is the last man or woman standing. It's not somehow rather like God is trying to weed out the unfaithful or trying to get rid of those that don't measure up. If He called you, He will enable you. If He enables you, He will continue with you. And if He continues with you, He is going to finish the thing that He starts. Can you say amen to that? 
And so we may have those things. Today, I want to take you on a quick journey through the life of somebody who experienced the great call of God. They were called by God and yet, just like you and I, that call was not without incident or without doubt or without some kind of uh, wrestling in their mind. God, how can this be and what's it going to look like? So let's begin. I'm going to start. I don't think the ones on the screen will start quite there, but just for the sake of context, let me read Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he uh, took the flock to the back of the desert and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And behold, it says, he looked, the bush was burning with fire, but not consumed. Moses said, like everybody would, I'm going to go and have a look at this because this is something amazing. It doesn't say it quite like that. That's what it means. Verse four. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. Do you know that God always knows what you're going to do, but sometimes God doesn't respond until you do. God knows what He purposed to do with your life. Come on. Some of you that have come from other countries and you have arrived here in Australia and your career or your study or a loved one brought you here and God knew the whole time what it was all going to look like and the place you'd be and the way you'd live your life. And all of that was there, but He doesn't move and do something until you and I respond. When Moses turns aside to look, then it says that the Lord said and called to him from the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. And Moses starts talking to a tree and starts saying, I'm here. Well, it goes on, he said, don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. The place where you stand is holy ground. It's not holy because it was a spot. It was holy because God was doing something there. For some of you today, this service will be holy ground, not because of the singing or because of the prayers or because we're reading the Bible. It'll become holy because you in your life today will make this a place where you encounter God. You'll make this place today a place where you say yes to God and to His call on your life. And Moses does that. Moreover, verse 6, and I believe we have verse 6 up for you. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. This is not the story of the confident people that are eager and enthusiastic to get going for God. The call of God is not for those that have got great self-awareness and a belief in who they are. It's not about the kind of people alone who carry that thing, you know, that most of the rest of us don't, uh, that carry that sense of I'm special and I'm significant. This man is not someone in right standing with God, confident of God's voice and hearing him. He has tried and he has failed. He set out to follow God in the beginning days. And then when it all fell apart, he then flees to this place he is now in the land of Midian. He flees as a fugitive and has spent the last 40 years caring not for people like he was called to, 
but caring for sheep. But I believe he learned a lot of lessons in there because the Bible says Jesus is the great shepherd. He talks about being the shepherd of the sheep. There must be something about that where God uses where you are to train you for what he has for you to come. But this is not a man who's in right standing with God. Verse 10, he goes on and said, You must lead my people out of Egypt. Come now, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I? Can I say to you this morning, looking inside yourself, listen to me, because some of you have been Christians a long time, but you still fall into the trap of looking inside of yourself for sufficiency, looking for sufficiency of character, looking for sufficiency of experience, looking for sufficiency of gift or grace. And we look inside of ourselves. Moses' first port of call is to look inside and to discover inadequacy. Listen to me. If you look hard enough, and for most of us, we don't even have to look very hard, you'll discover inadequacy. Why? Because it's in all of us. None of us are capable or sufficient for what God has. Every vision's greater than you. Every call of God is more than what you will ever be able to achieve on your own. And so this man says, well, who am I? And he falls into the trap of seeing whether he's qualified by his past or he's qualified by his intelligence, or he's qualified by his education, or he's qualified by his experience, or he's qualified by a popular opinion. And he comes up short, who am I? The reality is that the most qualified in the eyes of God may feel the most disqualified in the eyes of man. The people who feel the most disqualified when they examine their own emotion, or they examined their past. I can look back and see so much success and so much achievement, but I can also look back and see so many missteps and so many failures and flaws. The reality is that the people most disqualified in their own sight or in the sight of others are sometimes the most qualified in the eyes of God. It's almost like the Lord saying to Moses when He says, Who am I? It's almost like God saying to him, hold on a second, I've got something to say about that. I want you to hear it today. Because some of you that have heard the voices of the critics, the voices of those who say you're not going to make it, it's too hard. Why did you bother coming here? You were better off back where you were. Or all of those kind of things. And I'm praying today that you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit through my voice. I pray you'll hear it in your heart that God is saying to you today, hold on a second, I've got something to say about that. This man's a fugitive. By his own admission, he's a very poor orator. He's been away for 40 years. And now God is sending him. But 40 years is a long time. I'll never forget, after we'd been here a little while in Perth, coming from a mega church in Brisbane, where I was certainly, uh, Ron and I were both quite well known. But we'd been here a couple of years. And I remember phoning up the office of the church and uh, the person must have been you on reception. And they said, who are you again? What's your name? And I've got to be honest, there was a little slight bit of indignance. 
inside of my heart, a bit like, what do you mean you don't know who I am? Hello, I used to be your boss. Imagine how Moses felt 40 years later, they will have forgotten I even exist. Here's point number one, I want you to get it. The most qualified in the eyes of God may feel the most disqualified in the eyes of man. Because of that, don't regard or give too much regard to how you feel about where you are. About whether you feel an abundance of confidence or not. Come back to God and say, God, if you called me, that will be enough. Here's the second thing I want you to get. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. Now watch this because it's so different to what you and I would do. Watch this. I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. Now watch this. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Now I reckon if I'm Moses and I'm standing there and I'm going, this will be a sign to you. You've got to go all the way back without a sign. You've got to go to Pharaoh without a sign. Here's the sign. is when you finally get out of there, you're going to end up here. And I don't know about you, I'd be going, that is a useless sign. God, I don't want a sign that says, you know, in five years' time, my business will be a success. In five years' time, there will be fruit for my effort. I don't want a sign there. I want a sign now. Thank you, whoever said now. I want a sign for now. I'd be going like, hello, how about if, if I turn up and the pyramids are standing on their point? That'd be a good sign. Amen. How about if when I come into the land of Egypt, how about all the sheep start singing the hallelujah chorus? That would be a sign. Amen. Here's what I've discovered. We all want signs that dazzle. Isn't that right? We want something that gets our excitement level up. Woo! Look at this. Did you see that? Look what God did. God doesn't give you a sign that dazzles. He just gives you a sign that directs. He says to Moses, don't worry about how it looks right now. Here's the sign. And the sign's all about vision. Haven't you ever come to God? I have in prayer and said, God, what about this problem? And I'm asking Him for a sign. Amen. You know, that all of a sudden somebody in this church wins lotto. I don't really believe in lotto, but I tell you what, if you win it, I'll believe in it. Pastor, I just won 25 million in a lotto and here's the two and a half million dollar tie. Can we just pause a minute? Now, don't take that as any encouragement to go out this week. I don't personally gamble, don't, never have, and I'm not about to start. I, anyway, we won't get into that sidetrack, but you know what I mean? We want a sign that dazzles us. I've been to God in prayer and all I've heard Him say is this, keep going. And I'm going, that is not what I want to hear. I don't want to hear keep going. I want to hear I shall smite your enemies in public. I want a sign that says, you know, everything you've been asking me for, it's getting delivered on Monday. Are you with me here? And we want a sign. 
Jesus said the same thing when one of the Pharisees came and said, Master, we seek a sign. And he launches into an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall be no sign given to them but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And as the prophet Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will. Here it comes again. He doesn't talk about now. He's talking about the cross and the tomb. And he's three days in there. And then he'll come out. And they're all going, no, Lord, you don't understand. We want something now. And he says, that's not the kind of sign I give. I give the kind of signs about where you're going not about how to get emotionally better about where you are right now. Are you with me this morning? We want signs that dazzle. We want signs that speak to our circumstances, but God's signs speak to our vision. We want signs that speak to our doubts. God doesn't give signs that speak to our doubts. He gives us signs that speak to our faith. He'll give you a scripture and he'll say, come on, believe that. And you'll go, well, I just want my mummy. Point number two, we want signs that dazzle. God gives signs that direct. Here's number three, because Exodus chapter three and verse 13. What is his name? When I go back there, God, okay, I'll deal with your, your, your poor choice of signs. I'll deal with your poor choice of, of personnel being me. But God, when I get there, i got to tell him who sent me. And God goes this, get this, ready? Tell him that I am that I am sent you. And I'd be going like, that's cute. That's, you know what I mean? That, it's the kind of thing that makes you go, wow. It's deep, but I have no idea why. He says, just go and tell him I am. I am sent you. And he's kind of like going, is there anybody else up there? Can I find another burning bush? Are you kidding me? Here's point number three. God's answers don't have to make sense or be easy to understand. Come on, if you're going to follow Christ and you keep on applying the template of logic to everything and only what makes sense to you is what you'll do, you will never experience the great grace, the extravagant grace and the overwhelming favour of God in your life because you'll keep on going no to the things that God sends you to. You, instead of following God into the darker places and the deeper places, you'll only go to the ones where it suits you. And so when Luke 6.38 says, given it shall be given under you, pressed down, shaking together, running over, will men give into your life? You'll go, no, that doesn't make sense. I have a major in economics. And that doesn't make sense. You can't figure that out. Given it shall be given. I've read studies on this where science has tried to make sense of generosity. And they just go, I've heard evolutionary arguments about it. I've heard, you know, all kinds of economic, you know, societal benefit kind of stuff. But at the end of it, they go, they can understand if you do something hoping to get something back but they can't understand uh, greater love hath no man, but that he'll lay down his life for his friends. That kind of self-sacrificing for no other benefit other than that God says so. Amen. Malachi 3 verse 10, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Prove me now with this, says the Lord, that I won't open up the windows of heaven. We go, what? Jesus turns up and says, I want you to love your enemies. 
and we go, hold on a second here, they are rude, they are obnoxious, they are hurtful, I don't feel like it. He says, no, do it anyway. God's answers for your life don't have to make sense nor be easy to understand for them to have power in your life. That's point number three. Here's point number four. Because verse 17 goes on from there and it says, And I've said that I'll bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land, watch this, of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Vegemites to a land, just sing if you're listening, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've come out of the land of Egypt with all of its oppression and pain, I want God to take me to the last three words. Amen. I want to take me to the last three words. Is it still up there for you? I want him to take me to milk and honey. I want him to kill all the Canaanites, Jebusites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Hivites, every other ite. I want to kill all them and I can just walk in. And God doesn't say that. He says, I've called you, but there will be challenges along the way. Come on, come on, Christian, because we are not made of jelly. We aren't sitting here like little fearful, quivering messes going, oh God, ah! God's path for your life, point number four, God's path for your life will not be without challenges. I said to one of my family this week, because we had a couple of family members who'd gone through some challenges. And I said to my brother yesterday, I said, how do people deal with this if they have no faith? How do people deal with this if they have no God that they can lean on and that they can call on? No God who's got a promise to your life, who says, like I read yesterday in Psalm, was it Psalm 12? That the children of the godly will be firm on the earth. I read that and I go, oh, I begin to pray that over my family. I declare it over my family, over my children and over my grandchildren, that my children and my grandchildren, they're going to be strong in the earth. Amen. They're going to walk with God. They're not going to get distracted and fall side to side. They're going to walk with God. But I know that the promises are there for all the times there are problems. God's path for your life won't be without challenges. That is point number four. Are you ready for the next one? Exodus chapter 3, verse 22. I love this one. Every woman shall ask of her neighbour. This is the children of Israel. God has now fast forwarded. He's gone through all the plagues, the 10 plagues and all the resistance of Pharaoh and all his hard heartedness. And I'm not going to let you go. I will let you go. No, I'm not going to let you go. No, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to let you go. The devil's like that. He kind of wants to see how persistent you are how strong you'll be, whether you're committed to the things of God or whether you're just going to kind of just, you know, make it, just take the easy way out all the time. And so Pharaoh's in, he's out, he's off, he's going, he's doing all this stuff. And, uh, but he fast forwards to the night before they leave. And he says, every woman will ask of her neighbour, namely of her who dwells near her house. Hello there, Princess Pharaoh. Uh, yes, I live in the hovel next door. I've been making the bricks for your pyramids. Yeah, uh, what do you want? Well, 
What I'd like is I'd like all your silver. I'd like all the articles of gold and can I have all your outfits? Can I have the, yours and your husband's? Can I have all that? And, and, and then I, I'm, what are you going to do with them while well, I'm taking them? What are you taking them for? Because God said so. And, you know, Moses is playing this out in front of a burning bush. That's freaky enough. Can you imagine, I don't know about you, when I'm in the place of prayer, everything's possible. My problem is never the place of prayer. I come in to pray and I feel the anointing of God, the presence of God, the power of God. I'm like, whoa, yeah, let me out of my man. My problem is I wake up the next day. Now, I don't know about that. I'm not saying you're like that. You're probably much more godly than me. You just hold it strong. But sometimes I wake up the next day and all I feel is a birdcage in my mouth. Amen. And some days I wake up the next day and all I can think of is the size of the problem and who last spoke to me about whatever it was. And God says to this man, go ask him for this stuff. Oh, you've got to be kidding. And these people go, and it must have been a lot. These are the richest nation on the earth. And they go away carrying all this gold and all this silver and all these fine clothes. But listen to me, they're going to a desert. They're not going to the convention centre for a ball. You know what I mean? Can you imagine the woman comes home? She goes, what do you think of this? It's spun with silk. Can you see the gold thread through it? Isn't that beautiful? And the husband goes, it's not your size. She goes, shut up. It'll be fine. And so... These people that are fleeing for their life are carrying suitcases. They're carrying wheelbarrows full of stuff. That must have been a terrible burden. And they're going, what are we doing this for? But it's a fair way down the track that one day Moses gets up and says, the Lord has said, we're going to build a, a dwelling place for him called the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to bring your offering. I want you to bring all the stuff. This is what we need. And he publishes a list. Here's the clothing we need. Here's the furs that we need. Here's the gold that we need. I read this morning in Exodus 25, I think it was, where he said, these are the dimensions of the ark, 45 inches long, 27 inches high and 27 inches deep. And you've got to overlay the whole lot with gold. I don't know how much gold's in that thing. All I know is this. God made sure that they got given enough gold back there for the purpose he had up there. Amen. And I believe that every year when we get to destiny offering, I believe that God is giving provision for the vision. I don't know what all the needs are going to be. This year we gave away already. You know, uh, there was a church in Chile, one of our churches that burnt to the ground. So we sent them, I think, $3,000 out of destiny offering. There was a church in India that we partnered with. You remember, I went to the church planning school in, in Agra. And there was a church that had got the land but couldn't put up the building. And so we sent $2,000 across to that. We never knew any of that would be necessary when we received Destiny Offering. And it was 25% more than it had been the previous year. We didn't know what we are going to need it for. But haven't you ever discovered that God knows in advance? He says, let me prepare you for what's going to come your way. God had a purpose for that blessing. 
but it looked ridiculous. I want to say this to some of you here who maybe right now you are jobless or you're in between jobs or maybe you're still waiting on that contract to come through or that finance to be released. Or maybe it's just that you're waiting till all this stuff is finished. And I'd say to you, just because something looks difficult and out of your league doesn't mean it's out of his. If God could turn the heart of those pagans to say, let me give you all the finest I have. I know that God will always make a way. God will make a way for you. We used to sing a song, make a way in the desert, make a way in the storm. We know that God will make a way, amen, for your life and mine. Whether it's feeding 5,000 people with only five loaves or two fish, it looks impossible. You've got to be crazy, Jesus. But He does when we respond in obedience of faith. Let me finish this morning by saying this, team, please come. You're qualified if you're called. Come on. I want you to get this today. I don't believe in just preaching sermons because it's another Sunday to fill in the calendar. I believe God wants to speak to hearts and lives here. I don't know maybe your life intimately and what it's about, but I want you to hear it from the Holy Spirit. You are qualified. Amen. Turn to your neighbour right now and say, you're qualified. You are able, turn to your other neighbour and say, you are able. Because some of you here, you kind of believe it. God wants you to hear it this morning. He's with you. He'll take you into everything that He's promised for you. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I don't stand on the shaky ground of circumstances. I don't stand on the shifting sands of popular opinion and what everybody else is saying. I stand on the solid rock of the promises of God in Christ. Amen. I stand on that and I say, God, this is what you told me. This is what you said in Jesus' name. And as my pastor used to say, let hell freeze over, but God's word will come to pass. In the mighty name of Jesus. Have confidence in His call in your life. Have confidence in His leading. And have confidence in His plans for you in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Father, we thank you today for your great grace. We thank you for the way you are leading us. We are excited, Lord, about being with you. Lord, we can look around and be dismayed or be disappointed or disheartened or a whole lot of stuff. But we choose today to remember the burning bush of our call. That moment where we said yes to Christ. It wasn't a decision of the intellect. It wasn't being persuaded by an argument or a debate. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that made us say yes. That moment then was the day you changed our life and our destiny. God, we look back to it and say, the God who saved me is the God who will keep me. And the God who keeps me is the God who will complete me. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. i got one more scripture for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone that's among you, 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man or woman the measure of faith. You know, when it comes to this moment of giving people an opportunity to say yes, I don't wonder if I've persuaded people enough. I don't think, well, God, I hope I've made a cogent argument that will convince. I know there's a work of the Holy Spirit. And I know that God's given you enough faith to say yes. May not feel like it. You may not have some great emotion, but there's enough inside of you right now, wherever you are. There's enough inside of you right now to say yes to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, thank You for this morning. I pray for people right now, wherever they are, that are going to say yes to You, whether they're in the building in front of me here, whether they're online right now, or whether, Lord, it'll be sometime during the week. They're online then, Lord, stumbled perhaps across this Word. And this moment, they've heard there's enough faith for them to say yes. Lord, I pray for them today. Thank you for everyone who's responded over every week that's gone past. I don't know their names or who they are or what their life looks like. But God, You did and You reached them and You touched them and they said yes. And now they're saved and they're walking with You. We thank You for that in Jesus' Name. Amen. You can look this way. Every time we get yes texts, and I know, I don't know what the total was for last week. I just know that there was one I got told about during the middle of the week. I always wonder about them. I wonder who they are and I wonder what their life's like. One day when we stand before God, I think we'll know all those things. We'll look back and we'll see moments like this and go, thank God for the faith of God's people that believed you can be born again, that believed you can be saved, that believed your sin can be forgiven and you can have a new life, that believed Christianity is more than a code of conduct. It's more than an encouragement to be good. But it's a living relationship with a living Saviour. Thank God for that. If you have never said yes to Christ, well, let me tell you the easiest way you can would be to text yes to the number that's up on the screen right now, 0488 826 392. If you're in Australia, if you're outside of Australia or you'd like our help via email, you go to yes.metrochurch.org.au. You just send yes. Why yes? That's all it is. If you're with us on Metro Church Online right now, the yes tab has just come up. All you got to do is click on that. It'll take you through it. What will happen after that? Well, like the person this week that I saw the info on. Well, the next day after they did that, people in our church, leaders in our church sent them the next morning, 7 a.m. Perth time, a Bible verse particularly and specially picked for them. And a prayer picked for them. And they get another one every day, different one every day for 30 days. After that, there's all these other options. There's a year and a half of discipleship just out of one yes for those that say, I pray you will. I pray that you will say yes to Christ. I pray you'll leave your old life behind and be absolutely changed by Jesus. I pray the next opportunity for water baptism, you'll step up for that and declare publicly, I'm following Christ. Get baptised in water and go on to a brand new life in every dimension of your world. Thank you for that. Now, 
we don't always see it in front of us like the yes text this week. But I never want us to forget as a church that they're real people. They're not, <laughs> they're not some kind of computer doing it. It's someone. Can we give them all a big applause and just say we congratulate you? We're grateful. If you're in the building here and you want to talk to someone, go out to the Connect Up. There'll be people there. That's just on the left as you leave the, the auditorium here. If you're coming from the balcony, of course, it'll be right in front of you to your right. And we'd love you to engage and let us encourage you and work with you and, and help you. It's not like you've got to learn a lot of stuff. You've just got to walk with Jesus, really. And we'd love to help you do that. It'd be pretty awesome. Amen. Well, tonight is grow, isn't it? Resilience. That's right, because I remember I've got, it took me a lot of effort to get that piece of iron ore. I had to go to the Department of Mines. Then I had to pinch a table from, or a table leg from Michael and Sharon Ephraims. And then I borrowed a, a, uh, uh, a cavalryman's sabre from Trevor Todd. And that was kind of what we preached about, strength and resilience. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you any more than that because you'll just have to be a part of it tonight. It's up at five and uh, love you to be a part of it. That'd be awesome. Now this morning, because this week we've been celebrating all of our heroes in Australia, uh, we've arranged there to be party pies, sausage rolls, lamingtons, both of the chocolate variety and the strawberry. That's Pastor Bruce. For free, all served up for you out there in a plate. You can go and get that. That'd be great. We're going to stand and worship the Lord one more time. I pray this week will be a great week for you. I pray this week will be one of those weeks where you step forward for God in a great way in your life. We're going to worship. What are we going to sing? Hindsight. Hindsight. He's not finished. Do we, he's not finished yet? Do we have a song called Foresight? Uh, no. Could you write one, please? I'd like to sing Hindsight followed by Foresight. Thank you very much. That'd be great. Come on, let's stand and sing one time only through. Then we'll go across to ministry time with Pastor Bruce and you'll be out in the cafe and we'll be fellowshipping together. That'd be great.